Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. That's us, Communication Mixdown. Welcome to another edition of the show. I'm Stefan Schutt. This is a very auspicious time for Aboriginal communities all around Australia. Last Saturday was National Sorry Day, and right now we're in the middle of National Reconciliation Week, which ends on June the 3rd with Mabo Day, a commemoration of Eddie Mabo and the campaign leading to the landmark decision of the High Court in 1992, overturning the legal fiction of terra nullius. To mark the significant time for Aboriginal communities, we decided to turn right back to basics. Making sense of any idea of commemoration or any idea of community requires us to think about language, how it's used, how it embodies special cultural knowledge, and how it survives. Annalie Pope heads up the Priority Languages Documentation Project at First Languages Australia, and she spoke to Communication Mixdown's John Langer earlier in the week. Annalie, I thought we'd start by you talking a little bit about your organization, First Languages Australia. When was it set up, and what was the thinking behind the founding of the organization? So First Languages Australia was founded in 2013. We are the peak body committed to ensuring the future strength of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages. The organization's role can be summarized in three key functions, communicate, advocate, and educate. You've got a lot of projects underway, and uh, look, I, I had a look on the website and saw you're, you're across a massive amount of stuff. One of the ones that was interesting for me uh, that I read about was what was called a national media strategy, which was aimed at increasing the awareness of first languages to a broader Australian audience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so the First Languages Australia Media Strategy was first drafted in 2013 and it partners with media to educate the broad Australian public and to create an atmosphere of knowledge and support for Indigenous languages and language programs nationally. The strategy aims to educate the Australian public on the very basic facts that relate to our languages, uh, that there are hundreds of them, that they are incredibly diverse, and that they are of enormous significance to the people who hold on to them and that they will play a strong role in our future. The media strategy has seen First Languages partnering with organisations such as NITV, ICTV, Qantas, who broadcast one of our videos promoting languages for three months in one of their in-flight entertainment Mm. videos. 
um, ABC Regional, ABC Open and ABC Splash, members of the NAIDOC committee and numerous contacts with community radio stations um, and also articles in many publications from education journals to tourism magazines. Can I uh, ask you a question? Have you been involved in any of these media um, strategies yourself? Have you, have, have you yourself been involved? Yes, so one of the strategies is Murrungamu, which you may have found on our website. Um, so Murrungamu is a song and educational resource that was originally created to introduce Australians to the diversity and beauty of the hundreds of languages um, we have here in Australia. Murrungamu has recently been promoted as a competition amongst communities and schools where we've been inviting schools to participate by translating the song into their local language and uploading it as part of the competition. So Murrungamu means body parts in a few different languages mm. and we're asking the schools to translate that into their local language. So I have been a part of that project since it started as a competition and I've been encouraging and working with schools to help them identify local people that can translate mm. the language and teaching it to the children and then videoing it and uploading it. So you would be going to the schools themselves and talking to the students? Well, yeah, so first of all we approach the school, the, the staff and the principal or the teachers and find someone that's um, able to run the project. I mean, with some schools there are thousands of children, so mm. obviously they wouldn't be able to do something like this with all the classes, so mm -hmm. they would normally approach, you know, pick one class or one group of students that are able to do it, and then they, they bring that into their routine where they start learning the song, they get in the local Aboriginal people to come in and teach the different words. It's, it's, it's just your normal head, shoulders, knees and toes just sung in an Aboriginal language. Right. Um, and they teach that to them, and then the kids practice it, and once they're confident enough, then the school then video yep. them singing the song. Yep. You know, it's really amazing. Some of the kids really get yep. into it, and they dress them up, and they do the face paint. And it's wow. Yep, yep. Really, yep. really cool. And, and they video it and upload it onto your website or onto a particular website, or how does it yeah, work Yeah, onto there? one of our partners. So ABC Splash yep. is our partner with, it, with this. Yep. project yep. and they upload it directly to them and then you know once mm. the competition closes then they go through and they sort of they award the first and second prize and you're finding you're finding a lot of enthusiasm for this this is the kids take to this and the teachers as well oh absolutely they're, they're, it's been amazing and because we've actually just launched the sec the third year that we've run it we've just yep. opened it up and in total, we've had over 1,400 children participating, so it's, it's quite amazing, and it's, it's so great to see the kids getting involved. You know, they're really open to it. They love learning it, and it's right. something that's so fun for them. Mm -hmm. Now, one, of the, one project that you're specifically involved in is called the Priority Languages Documentation Project, and I was wondering what the focus of that was. So the focus of that project is to support critically endangered languages that have little to no previous documentation, um, but still have speakers. So we've had two rounds of the project so far, and we've supported uh, 20 language communities to go out into their communities and document the current the speakers that are still there with them. Um, it is a great initiative, and it's 
really vital work that they're doing. You know, all of many of the speakers are very elderly and will not be around for much longer. So being able to capture their knowledge while they still can is going to have a huge impact on the community being able to revive and strengthen their language well into the future. And again, I just want to ask it on a personal level. Uh, have you gone into these communities yourself? Are you connected to doing this kind of documentation? Not as part of this project. I haven't actually been able to visit the communities. We, I did set up a, a visit recently. However, because of community situations, it fell through. Mm. But previously, I did work at a language centre where I went out into communities and did things like documentation and helping them to revive their language. Yes. So it's something that I hold very dear to my heart and I'm a strong advocate for it. And, you know, it's really great being in the position I am that, you know, now I can support people across Australia mm. to do these projects and undertake this documentation. And, you know, it's it's only going to benefit people well into the future. And just in ter- and just explore that a, b- a bit more, the, the communities where these languages uh, exist, these, these undocumented communi- language communities, where, where are they? Just give me a sense of wh- how this, wh- what the spread is. Where, where would you find these communities? So we are supporting this project particularly. We are supporting projects over in Western Australia, like all over the top end of Western Australia. There's some in down south towards South Australia as well. Mm-hmm. We've had um, a lot in in between South Australia and Northern Territory, Western Australia. That That's a big area. But we've also identified languages in Queensland and in New South Wales that yeah, have very little documentation but still have speakers. So we've mm-hmm. been able to support these communities to go out and and document their speakers. I'm assuming when you, when you say document, you're you're thinking of recording their their voices onto a, some kind of something that would actually preserve what they're saying. Yeah, so the com- it's up to the community and the speakers how they wish to do it. But the majority of them are doing audio and video recordings, and then they're also writing down what they're saying. So they're having to translate it all um, into English, and then they. They, you know, will collate it all in some sort of a database, and then they will also archive all these things mm. so that it's there, you know, well into the well into the future. And and just to, again pursuing this because it, it is interesting for me to to hear what you're saying. Who does the documentation? Who would go out to the into the field? Do you hire people to do that, or are they part of the communities, or how does that work? Yeah, so the people that actually do the work are part of the community. So as part of the agreement, the the organization that have identified the language then develop a community language team which is made up of community people you know at the ground level that can go out and do the documentation and where needed they can be provided with training in these in these you know language documentation area Um, and there are a lot of local language centers that are identifying these languages and they're actually you know able to assist the community by you know transferring providing skills providing them with the equipment needed. It's really a community project. It's really great. Very, very interesting. Another interesting initiative that I came across on your website is something called the Young Champions Program. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so First Languages Australia is working in various ways to support and mentor Australia's bright young language champions. The program was first established to encourage and promote and mentor the young people who are keen to grow their involvement 
with their community language programs. Um, I personally, I was a young champion when I before I started working with first languages, and Harry? the program really helped me to grow and to sort of aspire to something, to be the the worker that I am now, and to be involved in community language programs. Can I ask you what which area or which language you were a champion of? Uh, the I was. In central Queensland, there is a cluster of languages there, um, and I was living in Bundaberg, and the traditional language for there is the Tarabalung and the Gorang people are from there, but I'm actually part of the neighbouring tribe, the Waka Waka people, so I was a young language champion for the Waka Waka language. Look, we're, we're just about out of time. I, w- there's so many projects that your, your organisation is, is across. First Languages Australia does so many things. We'll have to catch up with you another time. But I wanted to finish up with a big, a big question. Imagine that you have a magic wand and you could wave it in any direction towards policymakers. And I'm going to call them the purse strings holders, the guys that have the bags of money. And all the projects that First Languages Australia is involved in, where would you put the resources if you could magically get them? Where would you put that pile of resources, first of all? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I would say into education. I think, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Australian curriculum have actually inclu- do, does actually include Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages um, being able to be taught in the schools as as a you know alternate lang- language other than English. Mm. So, and I'm I think that's a great way to start. I think that the children. You know, at school, have are in the perfect opportunity to learn our languages. So, I would put, yeah, a lot more funding into getting the Aboriginal languages and Torres Strait Islander languages into our schools. That was Annalie Pope. She's located in Townsville and works with First Languages Australia, heading up their Priority Languages Documentation Project. Fight for your mic. 3CR Radiothon 2018, Fight for Your Mic. The sound of the weapon called a microphone. Bring the revolution on, broadcasting to the early morning. June 4th to the 17th, Fight for Your Mic. Rebel music on the dance floor. Tell me what you're fighting for, because this DJ gonna keep you alive. Forget about your troubles and your nine to five with the rhythm of the pump. So let's continue our discussion of the importance of the Indigenous languages as a form of communication for maintaining identity, heritage and well-being within Aboriginal communities. Here's Indigenous writer and researcher Bruce Pascoe speaking with John Langer earlier in the week about first languages right here in the state of Victoria. Let's start with what we now know as the state of Victoria I wanted to ask, how many Indigenous languages were in circulation prior to colonisation? Oh, there were about 40 languages in Victoria. And what about Melbourne, around Melbourne, what we know as Melbourne now? How many distinct language groups were were around then? There were uh, about four. Um, they're the Kulin Nations. Uh, the ones that surround the two bays are called the Kulin Nations, um, uh, so there's Wurundjeri, Wathaurong, Bunurong, Jajarung. So they're the major groups. And the question I wanted to ask next was, why do you think it's so important to engage in retrieving and revitalizing first languages 
And if I can be a bit grandiose at this point, at this particular historical moment, and let's start with the state of Victoria. Why is this so important in the state of Victoria? Because languages hold a key to both the culture and the economy. The cultural information talks about how uh, people were governed by Aboriginal law. So if we want to learn about how Aboriginal people managed the land and managed each other as a society, then the clues for that are in the language. And the same with the agriculture that our people undertook. The words for that are all within the language. So to recover language also recovers information about the land itself, not just about Aboriginal people, but about Australia. Environmental management techniques are all encoded in the language, and to learn the language, you begin to understand uh, the, uh, how the, the land shaped the people. And what's happening at the moment is people are trying to shape the land, and um, we should be far more conscious of Mother Earth and um, less conscious of our own importance. Is there something specific in Victoria that, uh, that would reflect what you're talking about? Well, the languages are distinct. Um, for instance, the Alpine languages have a lot of words for snow and ice and things like that. Um, the Western Plains languages have a lot of words for volcanic activity. But also they have the languages show regional concerns uh, for, and reflect the kind of animals and plants that are found in a particular region. So um, they're all distinctive in that regard and indicate a presence in a particular location over a long period of time. And that means stable government. Now let's step it up a little bit to a national level. And uh, the same question, why do you think it's important to engage in retrieving and revitalizing first languages in the broader Australian context? Same reason as for the state. There's so much information encoded within the language that it's information about our land. We'd be stupid not to uh, look for it and to learn from it. But also, it talks of, once again, it talks about uh, stability of government. The Aboriginal government prior to colonisation was massively stable, as can be evidenced by the length of time Aboriginal people were here, and also uh, how. Largely, uh, the country was managed without war. The only continent on Earth where war was not the first resort of kings and powerful people. Um, Aboriginal society was largely egalitarian, um, largely democratic, um, and for a society of humans to exist for so long without large-scale war in world terms, is a miracle. The languages reflect that. The languages and the law reflect this concern for peace. And uh, we need to learn the languages so that we can learn how to have peace on this country and how to look after this country. That's all there in the language. Uh, if we are serious uh, about wanting peace, if we are serious about wanting sustainability in Australia and care for Mother Earth. It's all in the language. 
These are very wise words, uh, Bruce, I got to say, and uh, very uh, sobering as well. And particularly, I think, and I guess you feel the same way, we live in a very trying times and and very unstable times. The world is um, in a very precarious state. Climate change is is having an enormous impact, and it's because of uh, uh, human activity. Um, there are some parts of climate change we'll never be able to alter. Uh, they are systems that operate around the the world and have done for thousands, millions of years. But there are some things that we do which are impacting on the globe, threatening us, um, and we can control that. The, you know, it's only recent years that the world has been, the ocean has been full of plastic. Only in recent years that mm. many rivers have run dry. Mm. Uh, we can, they're the things that we can mm. do something about. Let me ask another question. You travel around a lot, and I understand that you have been traveling a lot. I assume that you're talking to lots of people. I wanted to ask, where do you find the most enthusiasm and engagement in first language understanding and learning? And where do you find the most resistance? Well, there's an enormous amount of enthusiasm by young people for language in particular. Young people seem less afraid of a vibrant Aboriginal community. Um, It's sad to say that the older generations in Australia uh, seem to resent uh, Aboriginal success. Uh, Obviously, that's a generalisation. But younger people seem to more broadly accept the fact that there has to be an Aboriginal nation and that that nation has to be supported, uh, has to be given the opportunities to succeed. Um, And part of that is language recovery. And while a lot of Australians support this, there are some who don't. And there are many Australians who think that there's only one Aboriginal language. So in in order to bring Australians to the realisation that there were 400 languages and 400 independent nations around the country, then allows people to understand the government of the country and why people stayed in their location, why there was no imperialism, you know, to, to get bigger and bigger and bigger and take over more and more country. It was because of stable government that people stayed where they were, and that is reflected by how localised language is. Mm. It means that those languages developed in situ and stayed there. That's an indication of stable government like no other statement there is. Uh, There's so much to learn by supporting language. You travel around a fair bit. You're getting in contact with young people. They're the ones who seem to be enthusiastic and also open to exploring these things. Yeah, that's right. And I'm really always heartened by young people's willingness to embrace these issues, to embrace issues that some of their parents and most of their grandparents refuse to embrace. So that's really encouraging. Mind you, my sampling of youth is um, impacted on by the reality that uh, most people are younger than me. <laughs> yeah, and me. I've got to say, me too. Now, look, I want to ask you another question. Imagine that you had the chance to devise a policy or a plan for fostering the appreciation and use of Indigenous language. Where do you? Where would you put your energies first up? Place names. 
I'd start with place names. First Languages Australia has a program on uh, place names development in Australia so that Australians become aware of all the Aboriginal uh, place names in their district and what they mean, um, how they came by those names. Um, and also we let the rest of the world know about these place names. Tourists have been crying out for generations to learn what Woolloomooloo means, you know, what Kalgoorlie means. All of these names, they, they want to know. Mm. And it will enhance tourism draw of Australia if we can provide them with that information. People love stories of language. And if we can provide those, we not only provide entertainment for tourists and knowledge uh, for Australians about their backyard, we also impart knowledge of country and stories of country about how to care for Australia. Aboriginal people don't have a mortgage on caring, um, but because of the length of time over which we did that caring, it has to be respected. Not just because Aboriginal people do, did it in their wise and beautiful and soulful creatures. It's because they had a long time to develop a policy and they refined that policy and refined that policy, um, and they did it without war, and it worked. That was Bruce Pascoe, awarding, award-winning Indigenous writer and researcher, and he was speaking there with John Langer earlier this week. Bruce's latest book, which I can highly recommend, is entitled Dark Emu, Black Seeds, Agriculture or Accident. Well, that's all from Communication Mixdown for this week. Thanks once again to our special guests, Annalie Pope and Bruce Pascoe. A podcast of the show will be on the 3CR Communication Mixdown website shortly. We're back again next Thursday. And don't forget 3CR's Radiothon. This year we fight for your mic. So if you're listening to the show or you're streaming it or downloading the podcast, think about making a donation. Any amount will do. It all helps 3CR fight for your mic to keep the voices of progressive radio on air for another year.